Hi, everyone. Michelle Bruckner here with the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast, a podcast where we talk about show business, old friends, and new adventures. I've been thinking about speech and voice and dialects and accents, something that I've always wanted to work on. One of the advantages of having extra time this past year was I did get a chance to work on this part of my career. I met the fantastic Carrie Safran, thanks to Lee Nishri, a former student who is now a voice and speech teacher himself in the Boston area. Hey, Lee, if you're listening, thanks for introducing me to Carrie Safran. So I'm going to have a conversation with Carrie. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here to welcome Carrie Safran, who's an actor, a teacher, an accent coach. She does so many things and she does them all brilliantly. Welcome, Carrie. Hi, thank you for having me. So I first discovered Carrie's work through my friend, Lee Nishri. And I had been invited to do a reading and I needed to use a Polish accent. So I had a coaching with Lee and my world just exploded. I loved the work that we did. And I said, Lee, where can I go to learn more about all this vocal production work? And he recommended you, Carrie. That's how I started working with you. Bless Lee Nishri Howitt. <laughs> I've had many fabulous people come to me from him. He's a fabulous coach out of the Boston area. So the webinars that you did, did you start them during the pandemic or did you offer them prior to? They were definitely inspired by the pandemic. I started teaching pay what you can accent webinars. I think the first one was in April of last year and they have all been attached to a rotating list of charities. And so it's been an incredible time because I've met hundreds of performers because of the pandemic, whom I never would have come into contact to had we not been in this situation where learning off of your computer became the only way. And so I've been working with people all across Europe and all across this side of the pond. And it's been really, uh, and in Australia and in India, and it's been really, really incredible. I think that's wonderful. And I have to say my own experience was I really didn't feel like we were over the computer. When I did your British intensive, I felt like we were in a room together with the other students because your way of teaching is so accessible. And I'm a dancer. I never studied this before. And you made it really easy to learn. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, And yeah, the intensive is great because you have the opportunity to be in a small group with the same uh, faces for four weeks in a row. And hopefully that develops some sort of sense of community. And what's been great about that is that a lot of those people were seeing each other in the webinars and then following the intensive, there's also the British gym, which is an almost weekly workout class for alumni. And so this community has been created of people who see each other regularly and practice with each other regularly, which is so cool. (laughs) Yes. And it's really fun to learn these accents and learn how to speak because that is a skill you need as a performer. I just want to say that I hope you continue to offer them. 
Yes, I, I do plan to offer more webinars, although my attentions have been elsewhere lately. I just finished coaching a play called Two and a Half Minute Ride, written by Lisa Crone that Joni Schultz directed Dina Thomas in, and that's going to be at the Studio Theater in D.C. is where they ultimately filmed it, and it'll be streaming um, for a few weekends in April. And so I've been coaching that, and I've been coaching on a few TV shows remotely, And so that has taken my attention away from prepping more accents to teach for the webinars. But I do intend to do those in the future. And what else is happening? Uh (laughs) Right, Right before the pandemic, you had a big job with Marissa Tomei. Is that correct? I did. I did. There's a great uh, little company called Playing On Air. You can find them on Instagram and they get incredible actors, obviously, Marissa and others to do readings of short plays. It's a great way to get your theater fixed these days for sure. And they have amazing people come in. And so I coached Marissa on a Russian accent right before the pandemic. And she's just brilliant, just picks up things immediately and exciting to be in the room with her working on that. And how has all of the speech work, did, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Were you a performer first who developed these skills and knew you had a talent for this? Or were you working in speech and then decided to be a performer? So I've always been a performer since the single digits. The earliest things I did were impressions and dancing. And I continue doing impressions. And that's part of how I make my living these days. And doing accents well is kind of an extension of that, just being a good mimic. And then people started asking me for help with those things because of that. And then I started charging them and then seriously investigating, well, what is this thing that I have ease doing sort of naturally? How can I break it down and make it accessible for other people? who may not have the ability to just flip into another sound. And that's really where the art of it lies in, in helping people to manipulate their faces so they can make the sounds that they want to make for the characters that they're playing. And that's really the crux of Knight Thompson speech work. I have a certification from them and the methodology of that, the theme of it is essentially what are the parts of my face and how can I manipulate them to make sound? So it's very exploration based, which is really cool as opposed to prescriptive and very, very useful. And that's where a lot of my inspiration and method comes from. And and from the teachers whom I studied with while I took classes with those folks, lots of brilliant teachers like Lee and, and other folks. I think the the advice you gave us all too in class is to find a native speaker of a particular accent that you want to learn is really helpful. And also what you said about just kind of absorbing it in life. For example, I can do a German one pretty well just because I lived over there and worked over there for a time. It just gets into your ear. What if you don't have a lot of time? What if you have an audition and they request something you've never done before? How would you, what would you, do you think getting a coach for an hour is a good idea? I think if you have the financial means 
to work with a coach, absolutely do it. If for nothing, if for no other reason, then you will settle your nervous system more by having spent time with somebody who knows what they're doing. Because you always want to do an audition from a place of relaxation so that all of your wonderful emotions are totally available to you. And when you work with somebody and you really spend time preparing beforehand, that sets you up to be able to do your best work. If you do not have the means to work with a coach, we live in an incredible time period where you can just go on YouTube and type in the name of a city, or you can go to Wikipedia and type in the name of a city and go to list of people from blah, blah, blah. And you can find a person from that area and you can find audio of these people and interviews with so many people from everywhere on this planet. The, the, the internet is really your oyster. You have so much available to you. And you can just listen to people and do this thing, a little trick, give you a little tip um, that you're probably already doing anyway, but we call it listening with your mouth. And that means while you listen to a native speaker, you mimic any phrases or words that jump out to you while you're listening to them with the added awareness of what is their mouth kind of doing when they're making these sounds? And what does it feel like in my own face when I try to make these sounds? You can learn a lot from uh, the physicality of the mouth when it comes to accent work. So that's, you know, a very quick and dirty way to sort of get a sense of it when you don't have a lot of time. This wonderful advice and wonderful examples of what to do. I think that's fantastic. I have a question to ask you. When I was younger, there was something called American Standard. And I grew up on Long Island. And my family talks like this. Hi, Michelle, call me. It's your mother. And right away off the bat, I had to get out of that accent. That was the note I got from everyone. You're lovely, but your accent, you have this Long Island accent. Like it was like a dirty thing. And so I didn't, I tried, I didn't take classes, but gradually the accent changed into how I speak now, which is, I don't even know how I speak, but I noticed you have a very clear way of speaking, yet you recently did a four-part program and your accent was based on a woman in Queens, I believe, a Jewish woman quarantines, your video series. Talking about my mother. Um, so, so, no, I was just, I was laughing before because I'm from Long Island. So that probably would be like how I would talk if I hadn't changed it. Um, but <laughs> no, this is, uh, Michelle here is referring to a Jewish woman quarantines, which is the five part little. Oh, it's five parts. Five parts. Where were you? <laughs> is the last one with the gentleman where you're yes. in the bakery. Okay. Then I have seen all five parts. <laughs> Brilliantly funny. So Thanks. funny. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's sort of um, the idea of a general accent or a standard accent or a neutral accent is very interesting. And I ironically call my four week British intensive the uh, British accent intensive. But we spend part of the first class, the very first part of the first class, talking about how uh, a standard British accent is a myth. 
and what all of that entails. And so when it comes to the American version of that, these days, linguists, dialect coaches refer to that as SCGA or so-called general American. And if it has a region, you could say it has a lot in common with maybe more of the Pacific Northwest. But at this point, the reason why we hear a lot of people with these sounds and why some regional sounds kind of feel like they're disappearing is because of pop culture is because of the internet and people who get hired frequently don't have strong regional accents unless that's the sort of brand of the show. And so that's what people grow up hearing a lot of. So we sound like what we've been exposed to the most in many ways. Sometimes we sound the way we choose to, but that is a huge reason why we think that there's some sort of neutral accent is because a lot of the people we see on TV, no matter what town the show takes place in, kind of sound the same because they're either trained actors or they didn't want to hire anybody who had a strong regional accent. So that that's kind of how that myth gets um, perpetuated. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. My biggest pet peeve is, let's say a movie is set in Maine, and I've spent a lot of time in Maine. But when when actors try to exaggerate the accent, they go, well, you can't get there from here. And it's like, <laughs> bring it down. So <laughs> to have like, oh, there was a there was a really good movie on Amazon Prime with Margot Martindale. Blow the man down. Did you see that? Did not. It's, it's really good. However, the acts, I'm just, I'm just surprised at if you're going to spend that much money on filming something, is there a coach there? And is there someone there to really just check the levels? I want to say, because the accents, when they're off, they just pull you out of the story. In my opinion, I couldn't agree more. And here's, sorry, I'm just going to stand up here on my soapbox. Uh, it's a, it's a thing. So I think that dialect coaches really should be thought of as dialect designers and should be on par with the lighting designer, the scenic designer, the costume designer, because what we are doing is as present throughout the play and throughout the film as all of those other elements and requires as much research. Because if I'm going to go in and coach somebody a German accent for a movie, I need to know the town. I need to know the decade. I need to know their upbringing. I don't just slap on a head hey, here's a German accent. And a coach who does is not the coach that you want. And when you treat your dialect designer as one of those other design elements and you pay them as much as you're paying those other people, and then then what you do is you're giving your actors enough structure and time to really work on this aspect of their performance and incorporate it before they ever even start filming. And then you're also thinking about the big picture of, well, we need to have the dialect coach listen to the rough cut and tell us, do we need to pull people back in to do a little dubbing afterwards, to do a little ADR? Like, that is so important because of what you said. It's a storytelling ele- element. And anytime something is off, it pulls people out of the story. So you really want to invest in keeping us in the world. 
that can get tricky because I, as a dialect coach, have never been in the room for auditions for a project that I was coaching. Uh, and and I, I don't know any coaches who have been. I have worked with people shortly after getting cast and the TV show wanted to make sure that it was going to be okay. But generally, we're not a part of casting process, the casting process. So sometimes you might have an amazing coach working on a TV show and the actors are a little inconsistent. And sometimes that could be because of skill level, but it could be because they didn't bring the coach on till a week before, or it could be because one actor needs four weeks to work on this and another needs four days. And that's a separate thing just about learning. You know, I always like to tell people how you sound and feel in this accent on day one is not a diagnosis or a prognosis for your skill level in this accent. This is just where you are today. And I really firmly believe and know that focus leads to improvement. Focus and practice lead to improvement without a doubt. Fortunately, until production prioritizes dialect coaching and gives the actors the time that they need to work on it, um, we'll continue, I think, to see more inconsistency than not. It sounds to me like, first of all, it's a financial thing. If you're going to make a project, it has to be included in the budget. If you want your project to be really good, I, w- if you're using accents, right? And then to me, it seems like they, you just come on for a day or two or a short period of time, almost like you're contracted Sometimes I get hired as a choreographer and I have to set a piece. And that is different than if I'm with the beginning of a run of a production. So are you invited to a set just like on a daily basis, as opposed to you are the dialect coach for this project from day one? Yeah, that can happen. I've been hired a week into rehearsals for for a play. And I'm sort of like, really, guys? <laughs> well, okay. they realized they probably are like, oh, oh, snap. We better call Carrie. Like, we better get some help up in here. You know, <laughs> that stuff has happened. And then I've been in situations where I had a month with an actor before they were shooting, which is just glorious. Then and then sometimes somebody else, you know, I just coached somebody for a TV show and I had, I think, about a month with them. And then I wasn't on set, but another coach was. Okay. This coach was handling the overall project and had not studied what I had been coaching this performer on, but at least the person was there and did offer support to to my client while they were on set and gave them encouragement and recognized the great work they were doing, which was wonderful for her. But this can happen without planning. And I I was just, I just turned down a project uh, (laughs) because it was great that they had, uh, it was a a non-union thing and it was great that they had a budget for a coach, but um, you really have to think about where you're prioritizing because they kind of just wanted somebody there on the day and they need to prep the actors before, 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 before. You can't throw somebody in somebody's face when they've got lights on them. and Yeah. And it's just like anything else in our craft. I think the majority of people don't understand that the time we get in front of the camera or actually 
at that eight o'clock performance, that is just the tip of the iceberg of what we actually do. And even, even my family, they're just beginning to learn of the amount of hours that we put in daily, monthly, over the years on things that people, they don't see the brush strokes, but when they see the painting, they know it's good. You know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. And I think that reminds me of two things. One, sort of what we were talking about earlier, an audience member not may, might not be able to tell the difference between a 1920s main accent and a 2000 main accent. But if something is out of place, there are these sort of subconscious ripples that happen. And you may not be able to pinpoint what's off, but there's something you're just not buying about what you're watching, or there's something that's slightly distracting about what you're watching. And I think that's absolutely happening. And the other thing is adjacent to what I was saying about, you know, I would need to know which city in Germany and what decade and all of those things. People don't realize that any actor worth their salt and any coach worth their salt wants to be as specific and as authentic as possible. And that takes a lot of time and research. So if a company hires me to do four sessions with their actor for their play or something, they also need to be aware that I'm spending four days researching. And I don't mean like an hour here and there. I mean, glued to my computer rabbit holing, <laughs> calling professors of linguistics, like getting on Zooms with countries in Africa, like doing whatever I have to do to make sure that whatever I present to that person is authentic. So there's so much behind the scenes that goes into your one hour of coaching with me. Yes, exactly. That is, I, I love how you just explain that to everybody because you know, even people in the business too, they, we forget, we forget that everybody's skill set comes not just on the day of work, but all the years leading up to that. Can you tell us about Knight Thompson a little bit? Sure. Knight Thompson's speech work. So that's Dudley Knight and Phil Thompson. And I believe they met while working at UC Irvine together. Uh, Dudley's no longer with us. And I never had the privilege of working with him, unfortunately. But the book that is the anchor for a lot of this work is called Speaking with Skill, an introduction to Knight Thompson's speech work. I'm looking at it as I'm telling this to you. And uh, what's great about the book is that you can do everything that is in it as you're reading it. So it's a very involved, active sort of thing. And with the idea of what are the parts of my vocal tract, all the parts of my face that make sound? And what are all the various things they can do? And how can I really educate myself and use that to my advantage to make specific character choices? When it comes to the actual training of Knight Thompson's speech work, it starts with a course that anybody can take. And I've been, I think I took that class with voice coaches, actors, curious people who were just curious about speech, other accent coaches. So the first course that I took is called Experiencing Speech that essentially takes you through a condensed version of the book in about six days. And you're really exploring your vocal tract and 
it's interesting because it's from a very don't know place, a kind of innocent place. And so many people have so many hangups with their speech. You experienced shaming because of your accent. I experienced it. So many of my clients have experienced criticism of how they make this consonant or that, or their speech teacher said they were doing this sound wrong. And there's so much wrapped up in speech identity and self-esteem and social acceptance and all of these things. And what I love about Knight Thompson's speech work is that it's purely exploratory without judgment so that you can be creative as opposed to a more old school approach, I think, to speech work, which had the idea of this is how you should sound if you're going to be on a stage. Yes. And I think some very useful things came out of of those teachers and of that school of thought, but the mentality has really changed. And I think that's great because I think that makes for more interesting performers. Yeah. One thing that you did during the pandemic, while we're still in the pandemic, having this to work on was a wonderful thing because you can work on it in your own place of residence You don't have to be in a theater or in a classroom. You can work on this wherever you are. And it was so much fun to explore. And I'm I'm just at the beginning of my journey now, but now I know. And also for me personally, this doesn't depend. I will not age out of this, like as dancing. I'm still dancing, which I never thought I would be dancing at my age, but there you go. People still pay me to teach and dance, so whatever. But um, I can do this, you know, literally until the day I pass because you can always get better at it and always learn more. So it's so, Carrie, I can't thank you enough because you're just like you've lit a spark in me to learn. And I feel like I feel like I'm in school again, but in fun school. That warms the cockles of me heart. Um, I'm so thrilled to hear that. And I love that you said that. No, you can't age out of this. If you love performing and it's your ride or die, you're not going to do anything else. This can help you do that longer because it will expand the types and the amounts of different types of characters that you can play. So that's so heartwarming to to hear. And I love that. And you can work on it at home. And I think that this is the perfect time to work on it. Because as I frequently say, the best time to work on an accent is when you don't have a looming audition or a role that you're playing in two weeks or, or shooting in three days when you have a little bit more space, and that's not to say that there's a pandemic and so performers sit around all day doing nothing these days. That's not true at all, as we all know. We're all still quite consumed. But even just setting your phone for 20 minutes, which is what I tell people to do, pick one task. I'm going to look at this vowel in this accent for 20 minutes today. I'm going to listen to this interview with this person because there was something about the musicality that I started to hear and I want to investigate it more. So I'm setting my phone for 20 minutes and I'm going to listen to a couple of interviews just for that. That counts and that adds up. So it's really cool to know that it's something you can use for the rest of your career and you can work on it just a teeny bit every day in ways that 
accrue and really benefit you. And it's great to do that when you don't have pressure on you. It's so rich and it's so you can just go down these rabbit holes and just have so much fun with it. But I wanted to ask you another question and let me just check the time. I know. Yeah. I don't want to keep you much longer because I respect your time as a performer. I know you're usually in LA. Is that right? I go back and forth between New York and LA and Massachusetts. Oh, that's so nice. Yes, it is. That's lovely to be able to do both coasts and, and Massachusetts, you have a relationship with the theater up there. Um, I work frequently with Barrington stage company. They're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. When you are going back and forth, Your auditions are both film and theatrical. So can you just tell our listeners how you got to this place? Because usually someone starts in one city. How did you get to be going to three places? Well, I really missed doing theater. I had not been focusing on theater. I had been in LA focusing on TV and film and doing a lot of sketch comedy. And I was part of the Groundlings Theater out there, which is a, you can sort of think of it as graduate school for comedians. And I was in what they call the Sunday company there for a little bit. And I was also doing a lot of classical theater in LA, interestingly enough, but I wasn't doing any musical theater and I wasn't going around the country doing any theater. And I got to a point where I really missed it. And I started singing again And I decided uh, about four and a half years ago that I wanted to come to New York and give it a go. And it has been really great because I've been able, pre-pandemic, to work pretty consistently since that time, since since I came here. So I've been very, very, very lucky. You seem really busy. And how do you manage your time? Ha! (laughs) Who said I do? (laughs) (laughs) It's all over the place. (laughs) I don't. I don't manage my time. It's a mess. It's a mess. I do like the the timer thing, though. I'll give you that. Oh, I do, too. That helps me because especially with a task I don't enjoy, just setting a timer makes makes me know, okay, this isn't all day. This is just a short amount of time. And then boom, on to the next thing. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you? Thank you. Um, they can find me uh, on Instagram at Carrie Saffron. You can find my website, carriesaffron.com. On that website, I also must mention, I have a BIPOC scholarship fund. So that is, um, I think it's, just go to the general website and you'll be able to find it. But that is to sponsor actors of color to be able to take the four-week British intensive for free because I am on a mission to get people in the U.S., actors of color and non-actors of color, to uh, take the jobs of the Brits, damn it. And I also wanted to create this scholarship fund because casting has really finally expanded. And it's not the lily white casts of the past. And I think that's really, really exciting. And I want to support that as much as possible. And so that's why that fund was created. So if you're interested in either applying for one of those scholarships or donating, you can find all of that on my website. 
And additionally, I'm also on Facebook, Carrie Saffron Coaching. I teach the British Intensive just about every other month. So you can always check in and and, uh, sign up to be on the mailing list. Thank you. Next week. I can't believe it. It's the season one finale. Billy Johnstone will be my guest. I cannot thank you all enough for listening this season. Thank you to each and every guest who has appeared on the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast. Right now, summer is beginning and I have some gigs. I also want to enjoy some summer time. It's my favorite season. I bought a pair of roller skates. I'm going to be skating around. And I have some episodes that are in the works. I'm going to do a series about show business and alcohol. I've been interviewing several people about that. I think it might turn into a multi-episode series. We'll see. I'll see you in September, as the song says. And next week... Season finale, Billy Johnstone. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Oh,